Joel Bray says there's no such thing as a passive audience when it comes to ceremony. If you're familiar with the Wiradjuri dancer and choreographer's work, that's an idea that probably doesn't surprise you. He's adept at blurring the lines between audience and performer, and his new work promises to be no different. Developed in close consultation with Wiradjuri elders, including Uncle James Ingram, who you heard from last week, Garabari is Joel's newest immersive performance. I spoke with him about the making of Garabari and what it was like to shift to the other side of the creative table at a contemporary dance company he's worked with for so many years. Yeah, I have a long history with Chunky Move. I actually um, returned from living overseas for many years in order to start working with Chunky Move as a dancer. Um, And it's been my home for the last probably seven or eight years. Um, But yeah, as you say, uh, a couple of years ago um, and beginning of 2021 and this year, I've been the choreographer in residence. And so Anthony Hamilton, who's the artistic director, makes works and they've given me this tenure, um, two years to kind of really do a full, uh, deep research. And it's been fantastic. Yeah, I've definitely, I think I have built a bit more of a a gratitude and a compassion for choreographers I've worked (laughs) for in the past, um, where I've gotten really like angry at them or been frustrated. Now I'm a bit like, oh, okay, I actually see how hard this gig is. But yeah, it's been really beautiful. Um, It's been really beautiful to be able to stretch my creative wings in a place and a context that feels like home. I mean, it's funny to hear you say that you've found a a new gratitude for choreographers because it's not like this is your first time choreographing, but you've largely been choreographing solo works, so works that you're going to perform yourself. That's right. Yeah. So I've, I've been making mostly works on myself. I've made one other ensemble work, but I was also a performer in that. Um, and this work is the first work on an ensemble of which I'm not a part. Um, and it's by far the biggest work in terms of scale um, that I've ever made in terms of like size of team, the kind of scale of the project itself, the number of audience members. And conceptually, this is quite a large idea. It has come out of work that you've done quite closely with community there on Wiradjuri country. Um, I'll get you to tell me about it, though. How did it start? I mean, it's probably started with my dad, um, who has been instrumental in, along with people like um, old Uncle Stan Grant, instrumental in the reconstruction of the and the reclamation of the Wiradjuri language. And so every time I would say a word like, say, Bengara, he'd be like, no, 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 it's pronounced Bangara. Um, and Garabari was one of those words. Every time I would say corroboree, right, because that's like a, a word we use in contemporary Australian Aboriginal English all the time, he'd be like, no, 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 it's Garabari. And I, I love him for that. I love him for his passion for honouring the pronunciation of our language. So I've had the word Garabari um, as a part of my life for a very long time. But 
starting to make this work in particular um, has been, yeah, it's been probably five years of gestation, definitely um, the longest kind of I've been spending working on a work. I spent some time at the National Library of Australia kind of delving into the archives of some white anthropologists who observed Garobari, um, Wiradjuri Karobari, um, back around the kind of late 1800s, early 1900s. I've spent a lot of time with my family and, and my dad in particular, and over the last two years, I've been spending a lot of time with the Wiradjuri community in and around Wagga Wagga and the Riverina, in particular with a group of elders there who are the custodians of a, of a number of, of stories. Um, and it's kind of interesting that it ended up being Wagga Wagga because Wagga Wagga means the place where people come to dance, the place where people come to celebrate. It, it has always been because of the nature of the river there and the way um, the lagoons would trap lots and lots of fish and lobster and crayfish. It was a place where people would come to um, to do corroboree. So it's been, yeah, it's, it's been a bit cosmic. Like, you know, I really do feel like I can see the ancestors' hands in a lot of the decisions and 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 the work has really grown out of Garobari as the, the new kind of contemporary work I'm making has grown out of the relationship and the collaboration and the um, the yarning with those, with those elders. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago about the way community work happens and the way that you have to sometimes adjust your timeline because work can only happen at the speed of trust. And so, mm. you know, if you intend to make something with, you know, like integrity, it means you often do have to slow down and you do have to sort of put in that time and build those build those connections um how did you see the work change from I guess from the sort of the three or four years of you sort of gestating with this idea and then bringing a cast in and bringing and particularly bringing them to Wiradjuri country just to before I answer that question, just to pick up on that last point you made, like mm. um, I think when I when I started this process of like community engagement and consultation, I think I treated it a bit like it was something I wanted to do, but I felt like it was a bit like a, a thing I had to tick off. I had to go. I have to go and talk to the elders, you know, um, and it's a bit of a chore and. And then I can get on with the work, you know. I think I had that kind of attitude, um, but what I discovered was actually being slowed down and creating those space for yarns actually enriched me and the work and it's far better for it. I, I give you a, like a, a really small example. Uncle James Ingram, who is um, one of the main elders that I've been collaborating with in Wagga Wagga and just an all-round awesome, awesome person, um, kept on talking about the River Red Gum. And, I, you know, part of me was like, what, what uncle, what's, what's this? I don't know what the River Red Gum has connected to this, like, Garobari that we're trying to do. And then one day I was in the studio and we were working on some projection and we were working on what it looks like when you put projection through smoke. And it wasn't quite working. And then I went, oh, what happens if we take the bark of the River Red Gum and, like, put it into the smoke? And it made this beautiful effect that's now been incorporated into the work. And that kind of thing happened over and over and over again, you know, by slowing down, by having yarns, by spending time with the elders talking about things. Later, I would often find the solution to a problem. We, we touched on that in those conversations. And so the work is, is better for it. So I, I've grown as an artist, you know, and not just thinking of like elder consultation as this kind of stage that I have to go through in my process, but actually something that's really integral and ends up with better art. Mm. 
Yeah, which has been a real growth for me. And then your question um, about how has it changed when you bring, oh, it all changes when you bring people into the room. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think there are artists out there who see the work in their head and then they make it. Um, I'm not one of those artists. Sometimes on my, on my days where I'm really struggling, I wish I was. Um, I don't see the work in my head. It's something that we uncover together as a group of artists. So that might be my collaborators, including, you know, my lighting designer and composer, but also the um, the dancers who come into the room and, and the, who those dancers are and their personalities and their backgrounds is like absolutely integral to that search that we do together. So, yeah, I think I had uh, a one kind of vague idea of what the work was going to be, but it's ended up being um, a very different work and a much better one than I would have been able to make on my own. For instance, we've kind of discovered, we've ended up um, kind of exploring this connection between the ancient ceremonial ground on the one hand and contemporary doof rave dance floor culture. Um, and there's this kind of like continuum between those two things, you know, the doof or the rave or the, you know, the kind of contemporary dance floor is a kind of a contemporary attempt to create ritual to create corroboree in a way. Um, and that the thing that connects those two things is that people gather around a beat and the importance of the beat as something that goes on and on and on and on. And and so, yeah, we've kind of really, which is fun as a choreographer, obviously, to really be exploring the idea of the beat, which, you know, is clapsticks and drums and clapping and also in the voices. And um, so that's been this kind of um, choreographic research that we've ended up doing with the dancers in the room. <laughs> so, Joel, you mentioned a little earlier that the audience has has a bit of a participation role. What what's involved? <laughs> audience participation. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it gets it gets people kind of clenching up. It strikes fear into people's mm. hearts, absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense because we've all been to that, you know, um, that stand-up gig where the comedian just picks on someone in the front row <laughs> and your main feeling if you're not that person is just like relief that you're not getting picked <laughs> on. Um, I hate that type of audience participation. I think that's really um, lazy art making, <laughs> actually. Um yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about audience participation. I have been, my all my works over the last five years have involved participation. And that's been from the observation that in ceremony, there's no such thing as a passive audience. You know, everyone's, everyone's presence is important and everyone's role, no matter how small, is important. And in a good ceremony anyway, there are lots of different ways you can engage, including leaning back. Um, standing underneath the tree and watching it from afar and tapping your foot all the way to being the centre of attention and singing the song and and then all of the grades in between. So in my performance spaces, I work really hard to create a space where everyone gets to choose the level and type of participation they engage in so that we create a space that is genuinely fun and playful which as adults, we have, you know, relatively few of those spaces in which we get to genuinely kind of muck around with people. 
And I think, you know, if anyone's been to Corroboree, they are definitely spaces for play and fun and cracking jokes and having a laugh and as well as, you know, having moments of um, more sombre, solemn moments of importance like that. Um, so, yeah, so so people should, um, should wear comfy shoes when they come <laughs> <laughs> um, and come feeling really safe that no one will be asked to do anything they don't want to do. Um, yeah, I, I'm so pleased that we did actually talk about this because it got me thinking that you are someone who has a lot of experience with the kinds of reactions that people have when they are thinking they're going to be an audience and then suddenly are participating. I love the curly ones that audience throw at me because the work is participatory. And yeah, Baladurang uh, was was the first participatory work I made. It was in a hotel room for a small audience of 15 to 25. And once I started making that work, it felt really weird when I was only like literally a metre away from people <laughs> to just pretend I was on a stage and perform. So it kind of lent itself to organically like, hey, can you hold this or can you turn that? Oh, that was the other thing. I was like a I was starting out, right? I was doing a fringe show. I couldn't afford like a stage manager or other performers or anything. So I was like, I'll just get the audience to to (laughs) help me. Um, And actually then I found great joy in it. And I found that the audience, when I handled it right, really it was fun. And and then it also got audiences, I guess, especially non-Indigenous audiences to not just to sit back and watch it unfold, but to actually think about their own history and their own complicity and their own connection to the issues, particularly, I guess, maybe the tougher issues that I was talking about. Mm. And a lot of non-Indigenous audiences afterwards kind of thanked me for that, which I thought was great. So, yeah, in Baladurang, and then I've kind of first encountered this kind of working with participation. And then as my works have progressed, I've be- gradually been scaling that up and seeing can I still keep that sense of intimacy and in, and one-on-one engagement even if I have gradually more and more people in the room um, and the answer is I can't yes and no really obviously as the group grows and Garabari is going to be my largest um, one to date it actually becomes about the creation of like a spontaneous community in the space. And dance floors are a kind of spontaneous community. You know, mm. if you go you go out for a night clubbing or even, you know, on the dance floor at a wedding, say, you meet people and dance floors have all these kind of subplots. You know, over there they're meeting for the first time and maybe falling in love and over here is two people who haven't seen each other in a long time and here's a group of friends who have only ever worked together and they're kind of enjoying their first social experience, you know. And all those um, subplots are all kind of woven together into this other event. So, yeah, Garabali is going to be about like creating that kind of atmosphere as well as having some just amazing, stunning dancing. <laughs> There's <laughs> lots of like really, this is my most dancerly work to date. Uh, for those who know my previous works, they'll know that often there's a lot of kind of spoken text and uh, kind of theatre elements. And this one, this work, Garabari, is really about me returning to my contemporary dance roots in a way. Um, and that's just because I've got five absolutely extraordinary dancers. Um, and, yeah, it's got it's got all the, you know, 
running around and jumps and high legs and into the floor and <laughs> gorgeous unisons. All it's it's doing all that stuff for me, and I'm I'm really like celebrating that. Um, and I think it'll be really fun for the audience because it doesn't just happen up on a stage away from you. It happens around you. You can feel the wind of the dancer as they whip by you, and kind of you get the opportunity to wander around and to choose your perspective. Um, it'll be a kind of a choose your own adventure. Joel Bray there. He's a Wiradjuri choreographer and dancer. Garabari is presented by Arts House, Chunky Move and Joel Bray Dance. You can see it from Thursday the 1st of December to Saturday the 10th of December at Arts House North Melbourne. For tickets, including information about their pay-if-you-can rates, head to arthouse.com.au slash events slash Garabari. We'll, of course, have a link in our show notes. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.